0: Welcome to The Dots Call, a podcast where we explore the past, present, and future of Havanim jor Camp Galil, as seen by MADOTS 2020. My name is Jonah Wade, the host of today's episode and a proud resident of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Today, I am interviewing Galil alum Julie Esris of MADOTS 98, who will share her Galil story of belonging and acceptance. Our guests will be discussing growing up with undiagnosed autism in the 90s an era in which the autism spectrum was largely unheard of. She talks about how our beloved mahane provided her with the accepting community she needed to feel relaxed and confident. Enjoy. <laughs> guest today is Madats98 member Julie Estrus. Am I saying that right?
1: Yes, and that's incredible because a lot of people say estrus, and estrus is when an animal goes into heat. So it's a little, it's a very irritating way to mess it up, but you got it.
0: Great. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we're very happy to have you. So can you tell us a little bit about your camp experience?
1: Okay, so my story is probably going to be a little bit different than what other people are going to come in with. I grew up in the 90s with what I would learn years later was undiagnosed autism or Asperger's syndrome, whatever you want to call it. I'm fine with both. And back in the 90s, the the only differences people were really familiar with were things like intellectual disability. And back then they were still using the R word. Or dyslexia or ADD. Everything else, it was like, okay, you're that weird kid with problems. So, I I had been going to a day camp. Um, It was at at a Quaker school, and it was they had the summer arts program. And in 1994, I aged out of it. That was my last year there. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? Now my brother. Rob went to Galil from 91 to 93, and my mother kept trying to get me to go. And I was like, no, I love my day camp too much. But now that I had aged out of it, I thought, well, my brother loved this place. I should go, too. Um, He went from Sophine through Bougreem. And so I decided to go in 1995. I was in Bonim that year. And being on the spectrum and undiagnosed, the thing that made it different was you know, there's always a stereotype. Oh, that person's afraid to go away to camp because they're afraid of being homesick or that they're not going to make any friends. But, you know, in two days, they'll, you know, everything will be OK. That wasn't the case with me. I was afraid of going, even though it was my idea. I was afraid of going because. I had been chronically bullied Verbally and sometimes even physically abused by other kids at school, and kids that had been my friends eventually turned on me, most likely caving into peer pressure and Unfortunately, back then when, they, when there was no word to, sc- to describe what was going on, um other people, whether it was kids or teachers or parents, like instead of seeing my behaviors as like a condition of my brain. they they just saw superficial behavior. So it's kind of like in the seventies, for example, with dyslexia, it wasn't, oh, this person obviously has a condition that makes it hard for them to read. It was, oh, this person's not trying. So I've gotten the feedback from a lot of people that I was A, insufferably annoying, B, like I was always screwing up and just little things like that. So what I thought was Since I was coming out of middle school, because middle school in my district was 7, 8, 9, and high school was 10, 11, 12, I thought, this is my last chance until college to fix myself. That was the attitude I went in with. And I was like, if I mess this up, like there's something horribly wrong with me, and I can't make any friends. So I came to camp under immense pressure, and I was constantly on guard. And I was afraid... Of making social mistakes, I was. I also, if kids were joking around, just friendly teasing. I, I, I assumed they were getting ready to torment me, and going to camp, I just imagined that the girls would be like, the girls at school, where it was like, oh, let's put on a million globs of makeup and you know giggle over teen magazine. And of course, there's nothing wrong if people want to do that, but it was like the only, those were the only girls that I saw at school. So I just had. No point of reference for anything other than school and i 've always been a bit of a tomboy, even as I approach forty um, back in the nineties it was like i mean especially with a lot of the movies that came out then like the stereotype was it was like something you outgrew when you were twelve um, so i 'm at camp and i'm i 'm taking like uh taking like jokes as personal insults i 'm afraid of screwing up, I'm having meltdowns all the time. In the world of autism, a meltdown is like when your anxiety just goes into the stratosphere and you essentially blow up. But back then, again, people didn't know, they thought it was immaturity, tired temper tantrum, all those kinds of things. So one of my majraheem and, and I'm not gonna name him, he, he was 20 years old at the time, And I would say he had, like, the wisdom of somebody's worldly grandpa. Like, it was just not the kind of wisdom and insight you would have expected from someone so young in a world where stuff like this wasn't understood. And he took it upon himself to reach out to me, um, and he helped me to calm down and make make friends with, with some of the other kids. And within about a week of him doing this, I suddenly wanted to stay second session. I became very relaxed i was I was happy um, I found that like it was it was very affirming because i got to i got realized that there are different kinds of people out there there are different kinds of societies than the ones that are in school. I found that there were there were some huge changes that that happened that summer one of them was Like, people always said, how come you never ask people how they are? Well, a lot of us on the spectrum, that's just not something we naturally do. And plus, when you're on guard all the time, it's like, you know, you're in survival mode. The last thing you're thinking about is how somebody is and making small talk. But with my Madrid that reached out to me, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? And my parents, like, were shocked on Visitor's Day to see me going, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? To all these people. Um... I also had had issues making eye contact with adults I wasn't familiar with, but I think camp definitely helped me with that. I was also never really a huggy person, but, and I, I'm still not, but I, I started to be more comfortable with hugging certain people. Um, just in case anybody else on the spectrum is listening, I just want to say this, make this clear, because I know that things like eye contact and whatever, is very political in the autism community. It's fine if that's still not something you're comfortable with. Um, but for me, it is something I eventually became comfortable with, not because it was something that people, not not because of the millions of times when people were like, why don't you look that teacher in the eye? It was, oh, here's someone who made me feel comfortable. Now this is something I'm more comfortable with. It was just like the first time in my life that anybody was like that interested in talking to me. Like these were a lot of things that people take for granted. But for me, this was monumental. So anyway... So my relationship, my friendship with my Madrid, um progressed throughout the summer. And um, about a week before camp was over, I broke my ankle and had to go home. After I broke my ankle, they arranged it so I could come back for the final Shabbat on crutches. And um, what, what happened was my Madrich called me. And before I could ask him, you know, let's, let's keep in touch, he asked me. And again, this was something that had never happened to me before. And I was like, I was like, you actually want to stay in touch with me? Nobody told you that I was going to, I was going to ask that. And he's like, no, no, I'm serious. And I haven't seen him since the spring of 2001, but like throughout my high school years, he was my friend and he was my mentor and he was my sounding board, like with a lot of the issues I was having. And... At the time, I think he probably knew me better than my own parents because, like, I mean, my parents did the best they could. They they really did, but they didn't know. And they were also coming from a different generation. And, you know, there's like a lot of gender role stuff that my mom kept trying to put on me, which today is frowned upon on the mainstream left. And the conclusion I came to was, well, I can't tell them anything because they don't get it. They think it's me being young and idealistic or me trying to rebel when it's like none of those things. It's just that I'm living this different reality and they don't understand it. So my Madrid was my sounding board for my high school years. And I always tell people he made like this monumental difference in my life, but also just the fact that like he was someone that I could trust and who was there for me throughout my high school years.
0: So uh, what years were you at camp?
1: I, I I, did go through 98. I came back 96 for Bo Green and both sessions again. Then I went on MBI and then I did Madats, And they were like great summers. Now, that's not to say that there weren't issues. Of course, of course, there were. Um, MBI was pretty rough for me because um, a lot of us on the spectrum – don't like large groups, we find them overwhelming. And it's like at Galil, there was 150 people, but in my age group alone, there was 20, whereas on MBI, it was like 90 people my age.
0: Yeah, I completely understand the MBI can be rough. Um, You know, meeting a bunch of new kids, for us at least, was pretty intimidating at times. And also, because we're always moving around, there really wasn't much time to just relax and kind of collect our thoughts.
1: I mean, the moving around didn't bother me. I mean, I know there's like a lot of people on the spectrum you know, don't like new environments or something. That that was not an issue for me. I mean, don't forget, going to Galil was my idea. So that's a new environment. Right. I, you know, mm-hmm. it was. It, again, it was really. I was just like overwhelmed, and there were a lot of personal issues that I was going through that like were still kind of up in the air right before I left. And um, but yeah, MBI was difficult. The dots was a little bit difficult. Um, but I, I had, over had had a good time in the dots.
0: So what were your revos? Do you remember the themes?
1: yeah of course um yeah I, I don't understand how people forget these things over the years <laughs> i had so in in Green we did the wizard of oz for our coup um when we broke it i was the tornado i dressed i put a trash bag i wrapped myself in a trash bag and just like started spinning around the Khadarohel. um in in madats we had greek myths for first session and second session we had um um Alice in Wonderland. And what was funny about that is that we actually stole it from the Beau Green. Like we got wind that they were gonna do their Boku and or somebody got wind of it and and said, Hey, you know, we should do that. And and so we had to tell the Beau Green, yeah, we stole your idea, and then they they had to like come they had to like do an emergency meeting to oh, come up man. with another theme, which for them ended up being That's board mean. games. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was kind of mean, but it wasn't my idea to do
0: yeah. that. That's amazing, though. You still remember, like, the costumes and everything. I mean, oh, yeah. so much stuff has yeah, advanced through Galil, but I, I'll i tell you, the costumes, I can imagine someone doing that with a trash bag to this day.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I've got a friend who says he doesn't want to end up in court with me because he knows I'm going to remember all these things that, like, nobody else does. So yeah. <laughs> I've got a pretty good memory. Um, There's there's another some other little funny things I remember, like... In '98, on a special day, it was called Yom Independence Day. Do you know that movie, Independence Day? Yeah, the alien
0: movie, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah and it was like a whole thing about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Is that's what we were tying it into? And in the with morning, with
0: aliens or without aliens?
1: Well, I mean, just like it was like, oh, these aliens are constantly battling each other. These two peoples are constantly, you know, at odds with. Oh, uh, I see. They fed us like purple oatmeal in the morning, and it was like really gross. And and I remember, like. Somebody got up and announced that we, they ran out of food, and everybody cheered.
0: <laughs> um, can you recall any other just, like, random funny stories from the 90s?
1: In, in 95, one night after dinner, the kids started—the Clotreams started, the clotream started th- singing Thunderation, but it went on for, like, 45 minutes, and nobody could do anything to stop it.
0: Oh, yeah. Classic.
1: Um— Another time in 98, the Bo Grimm starts singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, and nobody could stop it. And, like, they were still singing it even after dinner, and it, cause yeah. it took them a while to get down to one. Yeah,
0: those after meal, the She-Ra after meals, that's like, man, the energy there is unmatched, really. So, what kind of camp activities were you involved in?
1: Yeah. um, For mid I did... um. Like, I did a lot of cartoon voices, I did uh, improv, and I did a stand-up where I made fun of my parents. It was called The Needless Aggravation of Children, and it was, like, all these un- these rules about how to, how to be a parent. Like, repeat yourself several times, even if you're sure that your child has already he- heard you. Always criticize what they're wearing, and, and, you know, it was fun, and that was what gave me the idea, so I, I would... There's, there's like this video that I shot in 96 where I'm doing that act, and and I was pretending to be my mom saying, why can't you talk about what the other girls talk about? Like, boys in clothes. And there's someone in the audience, you can hear her going, oh, yeah, that's us. Right, it was and, relatable. and I, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it was also because, also just that my parents didn't really realize what a different world Galil was like it was it was really ahead of the curve I mean when I was in high school like if people thought you were gay um you might as well have, they might as well have thought you had leprosy like like my high school now they have like a gay straight alliance back then when when two girls were going to the prom together everybody was talking about it but um at Galil in the 90s people were openly gay there were people that were like yeah I've got two moms it was not an issue they were ahead of the curve in that and they're also the head of the curve in, in gender issues and, like, you know, the absurdity of force enforced gender roles. And I remember telling my parents, well, people at Galil agree with me, and my mom would be like, Julie, they're just telling you what they you want to hear because they don't want to get into conflict with you. And it, it was frustrating because being a kid on the spectrum, you're not taken as seriously because they think, like, you just don't understand how the world works. It's like if my brother had said the same thing, my parents would have been like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, you know? So... <laughs> It was a little frustrating. Um, I, I always tell people I felt like Harry Potter going to Hogwarts because it was like this going into this different universe that like I, I go back and I tell people about it. I mean, they just didn't think. They just thought, oh, you must be misinterpreting what you're seeing. And, and it really wasn't. Even to this day, I mean, I still think about it a lot. I still can hear the rain pelting against the tents. I, I remember... Often, what would happen is um, we would uh, we'd put out we like we don't we didn't have those green tents like you guys have now they these brown canvas tents and they'd roll up we 'd roll up the flaps in the morning to air it out, but then it would start to rain all of a sudden, and we would be halfway we'd be like over the cauo and then we'd be like, oh my God, the flaps, the flaps, and we'd all run back to take put them down so it this is when you're in yes
0: right yeah. now they have the like platforms with the like solid tarps on them and everything yeah i
1: saw those when i came back to visit in the the 06 reunion and the 11 reunion what was your first year
0: 2013
1: mm. so you would have been hotree in that or ameline
0: ameline yeah yeah nice yeah yeah so I don't know from everything you're saying you just sound like it sounds like Galileo was really the first place that like you really felt accepted and it was really open and I think that's really what I I think I appreciate and I think a lot of people appreciate about is that it's like a super um super open super accepting community without a lot of the social pressures that you see in like the outside world which is really really special
1: absolutely and what I found is I just like learned a lot about myself like I mean, because when you're a teenager, you start to separate from your parents, and it's good to have that kind of, you know, to be away from them for the, for the summer and just, like, figure out certain things on your own. And I think that was really, like, helped me grow in a lot of ways.
0: Julie Esris of Madats98 and Kvutza49, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and helping us to become more connected with the foundation laid by those who came before us. I'm Jonah Wade from Philadelphia, and this is The Dots Call. If you are a Galil alum and you think you have funny or interesting stories that can help us young Madats feel less sad about not doing Madats in person, please send an email to galilmadatz 71 at gmail.com. That's G-A-L-I-L-M-A-D-A-T-Z 71 at gmail.com. Also, shout out to Josh Campbell, who has spent countless hours editing and producing the amazing audio you have heard over the last three episodes. Peace out.
1: And that's the way the news goes.